0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 5 of the Academica Vertex. I'm your host, Ollie, and you can find us on Twitter at the underscore FF Academy. So far in this Premier League season, we've had 172 goals, averaging 3.58 goals a game. So it's been a bit of a crazy start to the Premier League this season, proving that football behind closed doors really isn't lacking entertainment. Uh, for the, whatever reasons we'll be discussing in this podcast, as long as uh, a game week review, uh, all, all the best games and highlights of, of the previous week, a, a preview, the best captaincy choices and many more other Things. Um, so it's been a bit of a again a bit of a crazy week, but we have finally had our first goalless draw in in five weeks. So uh, how long we were waiting that for that was a was a very uh, long time. But it's we've had some very interesting talking points this week. Uh, certainly some big ones coming in the Everton Liverpool with red cards, VAR controversy, um, Chelsea Southampton. 3 or a big, big match there, and Spurs bottling it again, once again. So it's, we've had some big talking points this week, and um, uh, I'm joined by Aditya this week. Um, so, yeah, how are you doing to after that sort of uh, a bit of a crazy week?
1: I think this game week has probably been the best one in terms of scoring for me. FPL point-wise, not the all stuff going around in the game with respect to we are also. I think I managed to score around 85 points, and it's been the best since the start. And it looks like finally my team is heading in the right direction. But (laughs) there's a lot of surprises here because I managed to held on to, I mean, Adams and Werner. I didn't transfer them out. And it kind of paid off, which was very surprising (laughs) because (laughs) I think we we can speak about this a little bit later once we move on towards how how our teams have performed and all. But overall, it's been a great game week and... uh, Managed to get in Son for brandy because you know, Godzilla pretty much confirmed that he was out. So, yeah, it's been a great game week for me. So, how about you, Ali?
0: Yeah, for me, it's the same. I also finished on 85 points, and this week was my wild card week, so I, I took Verna and Adams out, which. Proved a bit costly. However, I did replace him with with Kane and um, managed. He managed to get sixteen points too, and was was the captain of, of my side. So I think we're both a bit bit in the same boat. Um, we have both had a bit of a disastrous start, um, which we spoke about last week. But for me, it's uh, heading in the right direction again. I've played my wild card, so yeah, I'm 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 in the same boat as you and. Um, doing doing a bit better this week certainly so first I want to talk about with you th- this Everton Liverpool game there were uh, a few moments of, of controversy in this game we saw Richarlison getting sent off after a nasty tackle on Thiago uh, we saw uh, Mane being given offside by a very very fine margin and we also saw uh, Jordan Pickford absolutely clattering into Virgil van Dijk he's g- now going to be out for eight months with an ACL uh, problem, So uh, Liverpool defence is obviously going to be very uh, affected by that. But um, personally, for me, in my opinion, I think that's a straight red for Jordan Pickford. That challenge, he's he's off the ground. He's nowhere near the ball. It doesn't look like he has any intention of getting the ball. He just goes straight into Van Dijk and takes him out. But what what was your opinion on, on that challenge?
1: Firstly... Uh... Three VRR incidents basically took place right in the game. One was the Mane's goal being ruled offside, which is fine. It's offside and you've made the rules. So justified. Richarlison getting sent off? Yes, the tackle was reckless, so he had to get sent off. Now the third one here was a big first challenge on Van Dyke, which ultimately resulted in an injury here. And it's unfortunate we're not going to be able to see Virgil Van Dyke, you know, play for the next few months. But uh, they ruled it out saying that since uh, Van uh, Dyke was you know playing in an off- offside role so any uh, challenge basically taking part because of that is you know null and void am I right? Mm.
0: Yeah, it's... yeah
1: so th- so that's what they said basically that's what they said based on the rule book but um, if you ask me yes Pickford should have got sent off because uh, I think what they need to do is irrespective of what happens in the play also because when when the corner is taken if I'm right Van uh, Dyke doesn't know that he's offside and Pickford also doesn't know they're just both involved in the play and in the game and they're not bothered about who's offside and who's where so that challenge was made keeping in mind that Pickford you know thinking that he shouldn't leave a goal so he did his best to you know throw Van Dyke out and make a reckless challenge there but uh, I think he should have got sent off they they probably need to mend their rules and all but uh, we'll see how things go on but he should have got sent off if you're asking me because He's ruled out for, as you said, eight eight months, and uh, that's also with the ACL injury. So, um, not a good news.
0: So. Yeah, I I the mean, exactly agree with you. I think it's the challenge was absolutely awful. He was off the ground, and as I said, nowhere near the ball. I mean, just because the players offside doesn't and the ball is dead doesn't mean opponents can just do whatever they like. Um, uh, and and VAR even took a look at it and and also decided that it wasn't a red card either. Pickford didn't get any disciplinary action, not even a yellow card, and and the Premier League have had a look at it or, or the FA maybe uh, afterwards. And there's been nothing against him, which I think is an absolute disgrace. It was a re- very very reckless challenge, um, which has in at the end of the day put him out for eight months. Um, so I think. Something needs a uh, sort of changing there. I think I thought that challenge was awful, and um, and hopefully, uh, Van Dyke he can make a speedy recovery uh, to that Liverpool defense. Um, and what you said also about the money offside was was definitely offside. I think um, yes, uh, very very technically he's offside. But when it comes down to it and it comes down to the margins, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous in my opinion. You know, if he's wearing a, a tighter shirt and his shirt isn't as baggy or he's got size 6 feet instead of size 8, size eight feet, he's he's going to be onside. These these fine, fine margins are are ruining the game and, and killing the sport in my opinion. It's when you score a goal you can no longer no longer celebrate the goal in, uh, in in fear of VAR ruling it off we've seen so many decisions this season and last season and i think this is sort of the tipping point for me really and we, we saw it go for liverpool a few times last season but the fact that he was somehow offside by uh, you know his elbow um was ridiculous because if he scores with his elbow i guarantee you that the referee will, will disallow that for handball. um i know you said that very technically it was it was onside, side and they, they go and draw the crosshairs and the lines uh and very very tightly Uh, Do it onside, but I think there needs to be a a margin for error. You know how we see in cricket There's umpire's call. I think there needs to be some form of that brought into football It it works in cricket it works in rugby and they need to make it work in football and unfortunately in my opinion It's just not working right now There's a sort of umpire's call in cricket So it'd be nice to see something like a linesman's call and if it was very very close You know maybe go with the linesman's decision at the end of the day it's each person's um opinion so uh, what do you think do you think that VAR should change in the future or or do you think that we should just continue as it is
1: wow oh, that's a very very difficult question for me to answer but you were actually speaking about something with respect to cricket which has uh, what is known as umpire's call and you want to similarly integrate it to football which is called as the referee's or the you know linesman call which is actually um not bad actually it's it's a very good idea on which you can walk out and you know get a certain amount of uh what you can say numbers to play a role like within a certain amount of distance if it's played on, then you roll it out off, so if not, then it depends on whether the line' completely flagged it off or the pitch or not also there's these monitors kept right for the referees to have a look at you know some decisions, so I think the referees can also have a look and you know have their say if they feel the rule has to be you know. I mean, the offset has to be given or not. Or sometimes it can be harsh, but I think at the moment, if it's offside, then it's offside. So they ruled offside based on the all these, you know, arrows. I mean, lines being drawn with all these stuff with their own compass, mathematics, and all from where they get. But uh, at the moment, I think, as you said, it kind can, can be harsh in some cases, uh, wherein you're, you're just offset by maybe milli millimeters or some very minute distance but also there were some controversies in the initial few games which where, in certain situations handballs were given as penalties and then they had to rush back and you know say that okay if the ball has been hit at some certain positions we may not possibly be a handball we'll just be lenient here and there but I mean it's going to take a lot of time to change these, these rules probably maybe at the start of next season we can probably see because even last season we didn't see referees uh, Going and using the monitors, even if they were available. So now they've made sure that the referees have a look and make their final call. So, yeah, um, yeah I think maybe at the start of next season, we can probably expect if they want to mend certain rules with respect to offside and this Pickford situation wherein he should have got sent off. So we'll have to wait and see because all these clubs they might have to push and maybe passing a vote or a proposal or something regarding this stuff, then only I think the FA and the Premier League will probably take an action and see what they can do.
0: Yeah for sure, I, I definitely agree with you and I think fans really, we want to see more decisions being made on the pitch rather than relying on technology every time I think. This idea of, uh, as you said, um, as we both said, the linesman's call cool and, and the referee going over to the monitor is, would be much, much better. I think right now it's so frustrating for fans to to see all these calls just being made um, off, off the pitch and, and from computer screens so i think it definitely needs adjusting because it's it's not just us two that are frustrated with it i think it's the whole football community and there needs to be some margin for error or some some margin because the these these off decisions are, are sort of getting a bit ridiculous now but anyway i could talk about var all day and and complain all day about var so we're going to move on and and talk about uh the Liverpool game more from an FPL perspective. Um I know we've talked about Van Dijk being out for 7 to 8 months. Um Alisson's currently out, which means Adriana, Matip and Gomez as those central defenders and goalkeepers and uh the the Liverpool fullbacks are so popular in so many teams um but with such poor um, defensive defensive players now um do you think it's time that we can free up some of our budget and, and uh, maybe jump ship on, on these Liverpool defenders?
1: Yeah, so it definitely makes sense, actually, if you want to make that move, because with Van Dyke now injured and Liverpool also defensively, they're not looking that sharp and great since you know, the start of the season. So with Van Dyke's injury, definitely it will cause a lot of problems for them. I don't know who's going to play in place of Van Dyke. Probably it's going to be Joe Gomez and or It's Fabinho back as a centre-back and all so it's going to be really interesting to see how they're going to tactically, you know, align themselves up with you know this injury, and they're going to miss a great player there. So um, with respect to that, transferring a Liverpool defender, that you have out, I mean, since the start of this season, only Robertson, you know, has kind of managed to provide consistent returns, and Trent obviously has not been that great. But the interesting number that I found out was that I think since the start of this season. No player had more touches in the final third than Andrew Robertson. So, Robertson had a total of 218 touches in the final third. The next second best is Mo Salah with 206. So, that shows how high Andrew Robertson plays generally for Liverpool. And that could be also a reason why they kind of start leaking in goals. Possibly because of him playing in a more high role or more advanced role. Maybe the fullback thing. they are not able to cope up defensively. So that could be an issue, but um, we'll have to wait and see if they're going to sort out the defensive situation here, because with Van Dyck injured, obviously it's a it's a big loss because Allison is also injured at the moment. Uh, Van Dyck is out for a long time. So we'll have to see how who they're going to play and how well they're going to play from now on. And definitely it makes sense. Maybe getting rid of Trent Alexander-Arnold is fine because he has not played that well, but... City and Liverpool are yet to play in the Champions League, so their games are today. So, you'll uh, we'll have to see how they're going to play and how things are going to turn up. Because generally, midweek, if somebody gets injured and all of a sudden things change, you know, it throws a lot of, you know, works at spans and a lot of decisions have to be made at the last moment. Because you know, sometimes you know, you intend to get in a play and he gets injured because of a game in the Champions League. He got a knock and he had to get subbed off. So, we will have to wait and see how things go on in these midweek games. Now, that's also going to add a key factor in, you know, when we make our decisions for the weekend and, you know, the players to be, we get in. But uh, overall, maybe Trent out makes sense. But I think Robertson is the player who's obviously giving a better value-wise. Since he's priced seven and um, he's able to give consistent returns. He's also taking corners from the left and center. He looks to be more... Lethal and he's more looks more attackingly, you know, fine, mm. maybe tuned. I would say because you could notice it right even towards the end of last season, Robertson was kind of playing better than Trent. And uh, probably Trent is more exhausted and has not yet come to his full level of you know the way he played last time. Last season was a phenomenal season for him, but uh, that can't be an excuse now. You're playing in the Premier League, a new season has started, and everybody has to you know start from scratch and play so. Definitely makes sense, maybe getting rid of the Liverpool defenders, but maybe not Robertson. I would hold on to Robertson if I have, because he looks to be a man who is informed. But uh, Trent, maybe Trent out, that's how what even the majority say based on the number of transfers out, and he looks to be the man who is going to drop in price now. So, uh, we'll have to wait and watch with regards to Liverpool's defence.
0: Yeah, I think it's totally right there. Um, if you look at the Liverpool-Everton uh, game, Robertson had the most touches in the final third, over 10 more than uh, Alexander-Arnold, and Thiago Alcantara was uh, won less than 100 touches on the ball before getting injured. and. Um, Jordan Henderson uh, was was 20 behind him so really he's at the, the the heart of that Liverpool midfield so Thiago gone is also going to be another another big blow for Liverpool but I think it's it it looks like a sensible move because Liverpool without van Dijk is they're really going to struggle I think and and we've seen it already uh, and we saw Liverpool without Alisson they struggled that 7-2 loss over Aston Villa really speaks for itself um, so, yeah, it could, it could be time to, to try and jump ship on these Liverpool defenders, but the problem is with defenders this season, is as I said at the, at the start of the podcast, there's been over 3.5 goals in every game on, on average, so it's it really time to try and get defenders who are who going to get re- those attacking returns rather than those guaranteed clean sheets despite Wolves having a uh, three clean sheets in their, in their first five but yeah it's it's interesting to see the options and the the budget it allows you to have where because you know 7.5 on a defender if you downgrade to 4.5 or 5 you get so much extra extra cash to spend uh, up the pitch but yeah anyway so the, there was a lot of talking points in that Liverpool game um Next I want to talk about this Chelsea Southampton game. It was it was very interesting. Um, Southampton's expected goals was actually more than Chelsea at one point eight eight compared to Chelsea's one point seven six. Um Werner's finally back and finally returned as Aditya said at, at the start of the podcast with his his team got sixteen points, two goals and an assist, like Harry Kane. It was bound to happen at some point, really. I mean, Werner, hes such a class player—and with Pulisic finally back, um, uh, he's he's now got that that spot up front. Now Werner is is finally playing up front. Um, do you think after so many managers giving him in him the sack, uh, do you think it's it's time to to hold him slash maybe even get him back in?
1: Nah, I wouldn't say so. I mean, if you got in Kane for one, it makes sense holding on to Kane, right? You don't want to transfer of Kane for one, right? It doesn't make sense. So you've made the move because you've looked at long term with respect to Spurs' run of games, and you've obviously Kane and Son so are informed. So you, that's what majority of the managers did, right? They got rid of Werner for Harry Kane. And it made sense. Werner scoring against Southampton was, I would say, more of an inevitable, you know, it was bound to happen because the way Southampton played for Highland. and everybody knew, right, Werner is bound to score against them. With Poulis, it's back, and also Hakim Ziyech also is back now. So, um we'll, be, we'll probably be see, we'll see how well they're going to play. But they play United, right, hmm. this game week. So, wait and watch. Let's see how things go on. But then they play Burnley, Sheffield, Newcastle. So, you'll have to see. I mean, if you've got in Kane for Werner, just hold on to Kane, man. Just don't even think of... Werner at the moment I have Werner I couldn't get (laughs) I couldn't transfer him out I was supposed to get Calvert-Lewin for him but I managed to you know hold on to Werner and Adams and before the game week yes I looked like a clown but after the game week it's like (laughs) I'm safe but I'm definitely getting Calvert-Lewin for Jay Adams because Adams scored the most luckiest goal I would say in that game hit the push went out rebound then somehow he managed to you know put the ball in he was very lucky and I was very lucky in order to get the goal. Yes, this to Ings, Ings was very clinical. But if you see the game, Chelsea, Southampton, Ings had 4 attempts on goal, whereas Werner had 3. And Adams also had 3. But if you see the short accuracy, uh, Werner and Adams had roughly about 66% of short accuracy, which is uh, fine. Out of four, out of 3, maybe 2 went in and also. But uh, with regards to that, maybe Werner? Not so fast, don't rush to get him in, just wait and watch and see how Chelsea play. Now they played against Sevilla, I think, right in the Champions League and it ended up as a goalless draw. So they struggled. But uh, yeah, I was we'll have to see, i mean, in.
0: I was definitely going to say that, Um, you know, they, they've looked so good on, on the offense, but what about the defense? And I was going to mention, just as you said, they had a, a nil-nil draw finally with... With Seville last night, and um, some interesting stats. W- with Werner was was the highest with the goal threat in the whole game, with eight penalty touches. Um, obviously, two goals and, and an assist as well. And there was a lot of uh, involvement from Chilwell. He had the second most um, touches in the final third for for all of Chelsea, which was really impressive. Um, so. Chilwell definitely looks to be like a a brilliant asset, but um as you were just gonna say a detail before I I cut across um they 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 got a, a clean sheet yesterday against Seville, but have looked so poor defensively. Edouard Mendy is is finally back. Um, uh, something interesting to say is Petr Cech has been named in the 25-man squad for Chelsea. So, looks like he could be number two or number three before Kepa. Um, but, yeah, d- so despite their their attack potentially looking so good, um, uh, what about their defence? Do you think Chelsea defenders and, and Chilwell will see many clean sheets this,
1: this season? That's a very easy question, I would say. You yourself, right, in the previous part, said that defensively teams are struggling, like to keep clean sheets. So we have to look at players who offer more offensive returns. So Chilwell basically has been great offensively and um, makes sense. I mean, obviously, uh, last game, although he managed to get an assist if I'm not wrong, yes, for the Warners goal. So, uh, yeah, I mean, offensively, he's been pretty good, right? So it makes sense getting in or getting in defenders who are more offensive oriented. But defensively, many teams are struggling to you know, keep clean sheets. And uh, at one point, Chelsea were leading 2-0, and the game ended up in a draw. Same goes to Spurs. Spurs were leading 3-0, and the match ended up in a draw. So, things are like changing very quickly in a game, even 10-15 minutes, you know. A lot of goals scored because there's no fans, so right? there's no atmosphere, there's no pressure for the away team to, like, you know, uh, they don't have that kind of a pressure to play well in an away ground. There's always an added pressure and there's atmosphere which is always hostile, I would say, to the away team which is playing. But with that, now in this case, Kauziolla said, right, I think in one of his interviews or press conference, that they feel like they're playing a friendly game every time, even in the Premier League. So, sometimes teams slip up and they're not up to the best because they lack the fans' support who are all, always present in the stadium. So. Defensively, I think it's difficult to pinpoint who's going to get clean sheets, but it looks like Aston Villa have found out a formula for that. I think we will have to ask them <laughs> how what are they do. doing. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're you're right. There, there's no no fans be able to criticise the uh, the defence, and and Chelsea have have leaked goals a bit this season, and. Um, So I think it it will be interesting to see how many clean sheets are going to go ahead. But the the other interesting thing for me is I've looked at some stats from the championship defensively. And there have been quite a few nil-nil draws and quite a few low scoring games. And obviously there are no fans in in championship games. So it it really is interesting because um, us saying, look, uh, there are no fans. This is why there's not been as much sort of... Clean sheets. We saw uh, Man City only only beat Arsenal one nil, which was quite a low scoring game, and um, is it, it provides a lot of entertainment. But um, it is is a bit confusing as to why to why uh, the, the, there's so many high scoring games. So, um, Aguero is finally back, and, and Man City win one 0 after being in fourteenth position. Um, uh, so. Aguero's price, just $0.2 under Harry Kane, um, and was fourth in the Man City uh, team for penalty area touches, Um, he he didn't get any points unfortunately, but with Aguero finally back and and Man City having a striker again, I know Kevin De Bruyne is out injured and um, perhaps doesn't doesn't look uh, so good, but uh, do you think Aguero can now be a, a fantasy asset once again?
1: Once he's in form, yes, but I just had a look at the numbers of the game, right? And in that particular match, Jao Cancelo had more touches in the final third than Sergio Aguero. Whereas Foden and Sterling had the highest amount of touches overall in the game. Uh, Foden with 42, Sterling with 39, Aguero had just 20. So, I don't know what kind of style they played against Arsenal. Because I could sometimes see kanseo playing in the midfield, all of a sudden he switches in the fullback. So, tactically, they had played in a certain manner, I would say. But, uh, I mean, Aguero is a proven goal scorer. And over the past few years, he has always managed to score 15-plus goals unless he gets injured and things go the other way. But uh, overall, at the moment, we'll have to wait and watch. And the game against probably West Ham should probably give all of us the answer. If Aguero scores a goal and looks in fine form and looks in good touch, then probably we should eye on getting him in. Now, I think one of the, uh, I saw somewhere that someone had planned a move, not sure who it was. Uh, he got in Kane in his wild card and he said that he would be getting in Aguero for Kane once Kane dips in form and Aguero starts going up. So actually, if you're in a wild card and you got in Kane, Maybe in a few weeks on time, if things changes form-wise, it makes sense. Aguero won't obviously go up so much. But uh, overall, at the moment, no. Don't get in Aguero. Let him you know, score a few goals. Let him get his confidence back. Let him get up and running. And then probably make the decision. But I think if you want a diprana replacement, is what you were hinting, right? If it's the Bruyne injured, you want a Man City cover, who you want to get in? I think it's sterling. Sterling would be the straight answer. Or maybe Phil Foden, who's priced cheaper, would be a point sort of a pick here. But uh, once De Bruyne is back, again, it's going to be a debate between De Bruyne and Sterling. So, hmm. it's uh, Sterling at the moment. But if they get a penalty, I think it's going to be Aguero Reinhardt who's going to take it. So, <laughs> the penalties again are playing a key factor again. Yeah. And therefore, hmm. forced should take in players who take set pieces now. So... Hmm. In short, at the moment, don't get in Aguero. If you want a Man City player, it's either Foden, Sterling, Mahrez. What I would say.
0: Mm. Yeah, I used my. Um, I was on a wild card last week, and I managed to use the the cash from getting the Bruyne out to bring in Harry Kane, who I then captained, which um was probably my first and only good decision this season. So um, yeah, I was happy with that. But um, as you said um. They're so they're price so closely at ten point six and ten point four. It's it would be an easy switch to make uh, if you want to go from uh, Kane to to Aguero and um, Fernandez once again is a is another option. I took him out on the wild card and, and slightly regretting that now. Instead, I, I invested in Grealish and Pulisic. Um, but uh, as you said, it's uh, difficult without Kevin De Bruyne and I think Man City will potentially struggle in, in the coming games and. Um, Talking about Fernandes and and Man United, um, they beat Newcastle 4-1 away from home, which which was a a good result for them, and yesterday they managed to beat Paris uh, Saint-Germain 2-1 somehow. Um, I watched the game and it seemed like they were battling a lot and and quite a a cagey uh, game, but um, yeah, uh, Bruno Fernandes missed, finally, finally missed a penalty. Um, against Newcastle, but still managed to get around uh, 11 points, I believe, and um, still managed to play uh, fairly well. So, Man United, uh, a of course, is, is a Man United fan here. And uh, let, let's, I watched the game, and, and let's be honest, I think Man United still probably weren't at their best against Newcastle, and probably not at their best either against uh, Paris Saint Germain. They, they, they weren't brilliant, but um, what is causing Man United to be able to get these these results despite really playing their best?
1: Uh, I hope I don't take a long time now answering this question because if I start, here, it might take a long time. But uh, when United lost to Spurs, that horrific defeat just before the international break, Oli's job was on the line, and all the rumours started coming up here and there. Oh, he's going to get sacked. Look at the run of games. I mean, it's bad. They're going to play bad. He's going to get sacked. They're going to get somebody else. But what happened here was uh, the Newcastle game, for example, when I saw the lineup, I'll be honest, I got pretty pissed off with uh, uh, seeing Vertebeek not being played. Ogba got benched because he was not playing well. So, he got benched. And Maguire also playing. What happens is People were kind of unhappy with the way Harry Maguire played. And, I mean, credit goes to Oli for picking him up and he managed to score against Newcastle. And, you know, the noise is gone, it's faded and everything is fine for him at the moment. But with regards to United, you asked me a question. How have they managed to get the results of these kind despite being looking bad? I think is that what you meant, right? Yeah. Now, for that is the players played for the manager is what I would say. They stood up and they played. But in the first half, Luke Shaw let in an own goal, which was unfortunate, which was like very unlucky. And they were kind of trailing for the most of the time. But uh, then Fernandez scored a goal, it was ruled offside. And uh, Fernandez uh, missed a penalty. Then they managed to score four goals with Rashford scoring, Fernandez scoring one. And uh, he managed to win the game at the end. Megawire also scored, Van Bisekka scored a goal, which was also very surprising. But
0: <laughs> yeah, very good, goal
1: against, yeah. And the game against PSG again, uh, we were expecting, or I was expecting, Van der Beek to play, he didn't. So it looks like Van der Beek is going to start probably in the weekend uh, against Chelsea. and He made a big difference once he came on the pitch against Newcastle. So, they started to attack well once Dan James got subbed off, you know. If I take a look at a number of attempts on goal, the game against Newcastle, Rashford had 7, Bruno had 5, and Dan James had 5. Out of this, Bruno Fernandes had 60% shot accuracy, whereas Dan James had only 20%. So, it doesn't... If you don't look at the short conversion point of view, if I said, oh, Daniel James had five shots on goal, you say, oh, he's having a lot of shots, so let me get him in, he might score one. But his short conversion has been bad. If you see in the first half, he was just shooting for fun, he was getting saved, getting blocked. But he was managed to dribble and go to the right position, but his end product was totally you know, not, not there at all. But uh, PSG again, they managed to scrape a win. Uh, although, Fernandez missed a penalty, uh, in the PhD match, but although it was ruled out by VAR, and he was, you know, awarded to retake, and then he managed to score. So uh, again, against Newcastle, Dallo managed to make a save, and uh, that's not concerning. I would say, I mean, you're a footballer, you're a human. You do miss penalties. You can't. You're not a machine. Is always going to score on target. So it's good he missed. Now he'll make sure that he doesn't miss again. But uh, overall, um, with Alex Tillers also back. They are looking much better offensively on the left-hand side. So, it's going to be interesting to see how they line up against Chelsea. If they play a back-three or a back-five, with Telles playing as a wing-back. And then if they play Rashford, Fernandes, Van de Beek, and they play McTominay, Fred, Popov, or Diamond, sort of. We'll see how they're going to play. And... Uh, These games, these wins have finally put out a positive mindset and an atmosphere at the moment with respect to the club because things were not great before the transfer window and uh, after the defeat against Spurs. So now with two wins in a row, beating PSG, who were the finalists in last year's Champions League, things will now go in the right direction. And uh, if you want to get in a United player, now maybe is the time for you to consider because if you're on a wild card, that's if now in case for for you you've transferred them out, right? They are to just pray and watch that hopefully the blank and Fernandez doesn't get more penalties or so.
0: Mm. this is my next sort of topic of debate fernandez apart from the the game week two when he blanked against crystal palace he's got 12 points and then even in the 6-1 defeat against spurs he got six points and then 11 points on the weekend which which could have been 15 or or more if he hadn't missed that penalty um but with with chelsea arsenal and everton as their next three um despite him him being such a good player do is it is it still the right move to, to bring in Man United players right now?
1: I mean, if you're wild card basically who definitely have transferred them out, right? That's the most general consensus at the moment with respect to the community. As I've seen on Twitter, all those who had a wild card or used a wild card during the international break transferred out to United Assets because they look bad. I agree. I mean, even if I was on your wild card, I would have considered transferring out. Actually, I didn't activate my wild card and I managed to you know, keep hold of it. But uh, run of games in terms of the Premier League, obviously, it doesn't look good, right? Chelsea are a top team. Arsenal are playing well this season. Everton are at the top of the table. All three sides are in pretty decent form and have managed to score goals and are playing consistently. But the fact here is that in all of the three games, let's say he gets a penalty and he scores. I mean, it's just set piece, right? And team teams defensively are struggling, defenders are more clumsy and the, a number of penalties have obviously gone up since the start of this season. And you're forced to get in players who take set pieces, right? Now you got in Harry Kane, who takes penalties for Spurs, right? If they win a scrappy one nil game and he scores a penalty, it looks fine. You know, when a tough fixture, he, he kind of gets you the return. The same went with Fernandez, right? If you take a look at his past fixtures over the last five weeks. Brighton, he scored a penalty. Against Spurs, he scored a penalty. Against Newcastle, he missed a penalty, but he managed to score a goal. Although he could have scored a hat-trick, technically. If he hadn't missed a penalty, if the goal wasn't ruled offside, the actual goal which he scored stood out, it would have been three goals for him. But (laughs) keeping that aside, for for the next three games, I mean, don't get him is what I would say at the moment. If you really want to get him in, then only it makes sense. But at the moment looking at the run of games, it absolutely doesn't make sense getting in the United player at the moment. But with Alex Tellers also back and if they play this diamond sort of a role where Bruno is more in the offensive position and he's more involved in the left hand side, more towards the forwarding roles, then there's a case for, you know, for him to be gotten. But at the moment looking at the fixtures, they are tough. I'm not going to say they're easy. But if you consider getting him in, it means it's really
0: yeah, mm. it's just the consistency of of Bruno Fernandes, which uh, which sort of worries me. Like he just seems to be like, like you said, he's not a machine, but the results almost look like he is. Like he just keeps keeps get, getting points, and we saw it after the lockdown last season. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very tempted to to try and get him back in soon, maybe after this this um, Chelsea next fixture because. Arsenal and Everton perhaps aren't the strongest side defensively. Maybe, maybe after the Arsenal, uh, in... yeah. Next, I want to move on to the to the Spurs game, which was just incredible. Perhaps my favourite game of of the weekend. Um, Spurs go three nil up. Um, they they get p- potentially the easiest game first half of of their careers with uh, Harry Kane scoring two. Um, and getting an assist and, and Son as well playing brilliantly, um, but just what happened? They bottled it again, um, and and it was <laughs> for me as a as a spectator, it was it was brilliant to see and brilliant to watch um, because what they're they're three nil up within about sixteen minutes, and and then suddenly they they give it away. Eighty two minutes, they they go uh, concede one. Mourinho takes Son off. Um, an own goal from, I believe, uh, Sanchez. They can see two, and then it's what ninety plus five. They get a corner. It goes out. It drops to Lanzini, and he absolutely belts it in the top corner. Uh, I went absolutely. I went wild when when that went in, and it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant to watch. And <laughs> not if you're a Spurs fan, but um, it it was <laughs> it, it was the best game of the weekend for me. As I said, uh, it was so entertaining, and but. I'm just confused as to what happened there. I think uh Aditya if you can help me out with this. Um how how did it go from so good to so bad in, in, the, lo- in the last ten minutes or
1: so? It didn't seal out the game, right? <laughs> you will winning three nil. Orina should have just parked the bus at the moment, but she didn't do that. And uh, Balbuena managed to score a goal, then there was an own goal, and there was a screamer from Langini towards the end of the game, and it was quite shocking. Brilliant but goal. Sports, Brilliant goal. Yeah. I think it was one of these interviews with, I think, Kielini gave post-match Champions League, and he said, Spurs are being Spursy or something. <laughs> and they just uh, did the same thing. It was bottled. <laughs> I mean... Uh, i'm just laughing the fact i mean you were winning three nil and you concede three goals i mean i thought Keane could have scored a hat trick i mean goals could have gone goals galore as what you say like things didn't go the right way and just bottled the game Just quite shocking i would say being the spurs team being managed by jose Moreno, who's a renowned coach for defensive style of football or build, building defensive teams solid in, solidifying defensive, you know, team the defensive players and all that stuff. And they leak three goals all of a sudden out of nowhere. It's quite surprising. Even at the start of this season, we saw many teams were getting, uh, many teams getting Eric or Ben Davis and all. And I had to even ship him out because they've not you know, managed to keep a clean sheet if I'm not wrong since the start. So, uh, which is, again, one of the factors wherein, we assume for a fact that Josie Marino. Is a defensive coach and Spurs defensively will be strong, so they won't let in a goal. But it's all gone, you know, here this time and many teams have struggled to keep clean sheets all of a sudden. So you're again forced to get in offensive players or offensive defenders who would give you offensive returns as well as an odd chance of a clean sheet, which is kept. So, I mean, that should, I think, probably answer your question.
0: Yeah, I think it was just such an interesting game and I know you say Marino's sort of philosophy it was shown in the stats with, with West Ham expected 1.9 to to Tottenham's 1.69 and um, and, and the touches in the final third were, were dominated by West Ham players with the likes of Masuaku, Antonio, uh, Bowen uh, and even Declan Rice so uh, despite them playing so well and, and Harry Kane being a, a brilliant asset, um, uh, the stats clearly show that that West Ham were much more attacking throughout the whole game, not just the last ten minutes, but m- much, much more uh, in in the opponent's final third. And um, and Antonio uh, had ten penalty area touches and, and didn't manage to get get anything with it. But um, he looks like to be a brilliant asset, and the stats keep showing it. He, he had the most penalty touches by far double son which who, who only had 5 um, but yeah so i think it, it was it was interesting to watch that game and uh, it, it was a brilliant is a brilliant watch for me and um, and for for now uh, son and kane have brilliant fixtures i've doubled up on them and i think it is definitely a viable option and i wouldn't blame you if, if you did that too um, but uh, now another another talking point in the season is is the Leicester nil, Aston Villa one. Aston Villa still get off to that perfect start i mean they didn't have a game week one fixture so they're they're one point behind everton with one game in hand in in 12 points and they've won all four of their openers we saw them smash liverpool 5-2 and now get a a lovely clean sheet uh, away to leicester and and uh managed to get a goal from ross barkley in i believe the 92nd minute um so uh it's looked like they they've played very well this season, but they were only one point above relegation last season and and only just managed to stay up so uh, i I'm just wondering to myself what what has happened to aston villa what what has changed this season for them just to become such such a different team
1: first of all, they need to go and thank the officials or the hawkeye officials <laughs> the last season <laughs> because survived because of the big blunder made by the gold system so they have to you know first of all be very happy and be for a fact that they managed to survive and they're playing in the premier league and their fortunes changed all of a sudden and uh, we're lucky they managed to keep jack grealish because if they had got relegated there would be a lot of teams who would be mad, who would be eyeing to get him in but unfortunately it didn't happen but moving on to this topic Villa defensively have looked good and if you see in terms of uh, the total shots conceded this season, they're roughly like around uh, 45 or so. That's one more than Liverpool but the fact here is that uh, Liverpool have conceded 13 goals so far while as Aston Villa have just let in 2, which is a bit great. Of big chances conceded. They arrived right at the bottom with Burnley with only five. So the defensive numbers are looking good. The next run of games also are looking good. And even towards the end of last season, we could see that they were defensively decided to tighten up a little bit. They decided to hold on to games, trying to pressurize teams to score goals. They couldn't they didn't let, let in a lot of teams to score goals with ease. I think it was the game against Chelsea, where in Chelsea really struggled to score. And uh, since then, it was very evident that Villa had, you know, defensively has started to work a little better. Which is evident now because they are much better at the moment. Uh, maybe getting the Villa defender now for the next few run of games because the games do look good. I mean, the next run of fixtures, the two Leeds, Southampton, Arsenal, Brighton, West Ham, Newcastle. Burnley, West Brom Palace. That's right up to game week 15. But how long is this form going to continue? Even I can't answer that. But for now, they're looking good. So maybe just hop onto one of the assets. I think you do have Emi Martinez.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh. I have Emi have Martinez and goal. Who's been a, he's definitely been a, a big factor to assuring that defense up. And I mean, Mings is the second highest scoring defender in in the game so far, and Konza not far behind as the fifth highest scoring defender. So. It looks like Mings and Konza have now turned into Prime, Beckenbauer and Bobby Moore. So, I don't know what's happened there <laughs> with Martinez sort of securing that defence. But it looks incredible, just
1: doesn't it? It does look. They're keeping clean sheets. So, the numbers also look great defensively. So, they're managing to play defensively well. Mm.
0: It's, it's just been a... A wonder of a, a season for um uh, for a start for the season at least for aston villa and i'm sure uh, many people are jumping on those those assets but the next section of this podcast i just want to get onto is is our teams i know in in some previous podcasts we had we, we've spoken a lot about general fpl and, and players to bring in etc but we don't tend to really talk about our individual teams so much so um, currently, for me, I'm at a rank of 750k, which is a brilliant boost for me. Um, last week, I was at 1.7 mil, so it's basically a one million rank rise. Uh, I just played my wild card and key players that that really scored highly for me this week were Martinez, Kane, and and Son, who I all brought in, uh, which was which was a which was a great success for me, and I, I'm really happy because uh, uh, my my sort of season started uh, very poorly and um, I'm glad it's sort of turning around a bit but the ironic thing is that uh, despite getting Kane and more in if I'd stuck with Werner and Adams <laughs> I would have scored more points from them but who knows who I would have gone as, as captaincy um, but uh, yeah it's for me I'm not quite sure where I go next I, I brought in Pulisic um, and uh, Grealish instead of Kevin De Bruyne and other options so I'm really hoping that Pulisic can find form what I really don't like is Frank Lampard's managerial side I mean when he was playing Werner out on the left uh, that caused me to to jump ship on Werner and now he seems to be playing Christian Pulisic on the right which it just baffles me he was one of Chelsea's best players, if not their best player, maybe Kovacic as well last season, and Captain America, he was so good, and it just baffles me why Lampard keeps playing these incredible players out of position and not letting them go up to their full potential. Um, so I'd really like to, to see Christian Pulisic back as a left winger uh, instead of Mason Mount. I, I'm not quite sure the, the sort of almost obsession uh, Frank Lampard has with Mason Mount, but why he's playing Mason Mount as a as a left winger ahead of Christian Pulisic, I'm not I'm not sure. But um, my next my next transfer, I was looking to do Pulisic to Rodriguez. I think Rodriguez uh, for Everton against Southampton looks like a brilliant fixture, but I'm just gonna gonna sit tight for the moment and and stick with Pulisic one or or two more weeks and and hopefully he can perform. But the thing that really discourages me is uh is if he's not gonna be able to play on the left. Um so yeah I've I'm up to seven hundred and fifty K. My back three is currently Robertson Chilwell and Dallas from Leeds. Um so the main thing for me was, was getting my captaincy right last the week before last I had it on De Bruyne who scored two points uh and then Werner the week before who scored two points again and then Abamian game week one and two which I don't think I need to tell you how that went. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm sort of turning it around a bit now, um, so trying to trying to improve. Um, uh, so, yeah, how, how has your season gone so far, Aditya?
1: I mean, as I said at the start, this last game week has been the one for me so far, and I've managed to score 85 points. I was about to wildcard, but luckily I didn't, and I managed to, as I said, I managed to keep on to, you know, Che Adams and... I was going to get in Mopi and uh, I think Calvert-Lewin So I still don't have Calvert-Lewin Which is a kind of surprising news For most of the people who will be hearing this out But don't worry This week I'm getting Calvert-Lewin For Jay Adams So I'm going to make the move finally now But with even Coleman injured Is kind of a worrying sign But I think with this week I'll just put him on the bench And play someone else So that's fine But overall I'm racked around Roughly one point I think seven mil, I can say, because my overall points are roughly around 280. So, not a bad start, I would say, because everybody is struggling at the moment. I mean, you're just uh, roughly 23 points you no know, above me. So, you're just rank like literally half. I read that stuff here. You know, so so, lot of people are struggling, and there's not a lot of difference among the teams. So the points are scored in a much similar fashion here. So. Overall, um, I got in Son for De Bruyne because once we got the news that De Bruyne is ruled out, loud, I just got him in and I just put the captaincy on him and it was like the end of the story there. And he managed to score and Son and Kane both are looking in good form. So, made sense making the decision. But, regards to Warner, finally, he managed to play up top now. And he uh, scored two goals, got an assist. Kai Havertz also played well. Uh, that was a... Player, which we forgot to discuss a little bit, but Havertz also looked good. And I think with Hakim Ziyech back, I think now Pulisic will really finally make the switch to the other game. It's probably because I think Mason Mount is more preferred playing on the left-hand side, so he's finally given him a chance to play where he's preferred, you know, playing. So that's why I think Pulisic played on the right. But uh, you nevertheless, know, Podence has been blanking since I got him. He's been just constantly giving me 2-3 points, which is not great. But overall, at the moment, I think I'm getting in Calvert-Lewin. Although I'm boarding the train very late. But it looks like he's, he's in form. And he's getting in returns consistently. And Everton also playing well. So, makes sense for me to do the move. Now, although I'm very late. Because I've missed a chunk of points. And uh, that's why I'm so behind. That's why it makes sense. But... Uh, it was an escape for me, not only for Ruffler in the last game week. And somehow, yeah. Jay Adams managed to get in the return out of nowhere. Because so far, I think if I had a look, I think um, in terms of the number of big chances missed, it's the highest by Jay Adams. with four. Big chances missed. And he managed to score one somehow from somewhere with the ball hitting the post, not going out. And just went in i very fortunate to know that I got a return, but now I want to make the move and get it inside
0: your team. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it won't be a, a bad move for you at all. Uh, Everton, uh, they're more of an established team than, than Norwich were, so we're, I, I'm hoping for FPL that it's not going to be a sort of repeat of Pukki and, and you get him in and he'll just blank. Um, I think uh, he's he did have a bit of a goal drought last season towards the end, uh, post-lockdown, but... I don't think that it's going to be a problem with um with blanking. So, um just quickly moving on to uh next week. Um there's a few captaincy options. Liverpool obviously play Sheffield United, so the armband on Salah looks very attractive. Everton have have looked very popular this season. They play Southampton. Um Morepay plays West Brom, which could be a very differential sh- shout, but with with no points against Crystal Palace, I'd be a bit concerned. Um, who is your captaincy uh, currently on, and who are you thinking of of putting it on later?
1: At the moment, it's on Hulman. On, but fixtures wise, obviously, uh, first play Burnley. Burnley defensively have looked decent, not too bad. So. could be a tough game but we'll have to wait and see how they play in the europa league so we have to see how things go on and um, again liverpool plays sheffield and sheffield this year have been very very bad and uh, it's a little bit concerning to see the way sheffield are playing compared to what they played last time but uh, both the games are going to be more similar fashion in terms of how the teams are going to defend, I mean Burnley and Sheffield, so it's going to be either Mo Salah or Hewnman's so is where I'm on it at the moment, but Albert Lewin or one of the Everton players would not definitely be a bad shout because they're playing Southampton and Southampton have been leaking goals a lot and uh, it was evident against the game against Chelsea, they generally play high and then they get better so uh, if the same happens again then I wouldn't be surprised if team scores again and James Rodriguez gets an assist or some sort of an attacking team. But Wolves against Newcastle, now, um, I mean Newcastle also defensively not that great, they have considered the most shots in the league so far with 86 and in terms of the number of big chances conceded, they are right. At the bottom, I would say, along with Sheffield and Everton, it's eight. So, most of the teams have just let in eight to roughly ten. Big chances. But let's see if how well Wolves are going to attack Because they just managed to win by a goal or so against Leeds. And it was Rahul Jimenez. So, it could be again Raul Jimenez who scores again against Newcastle. But uh, I think the two major captaincy options are definitely Kane, Son. Then it's uh, Mo Salah or Sadio Mane. And then it comes out to either Calvert-Lewin or James Rodriguez and then maybe for differential picks like Aubameyang and all against Leicester, Maupay against West Brom. Then we have uh, Raheem Sterling. I forgot to mention about him because Sterling generally plays away from home. Technically, there's no away from home at the moment because there's no fans. And at the start of last season, Sterling did manage to get in a hat trick against West End. There was the start of game week one. So, let's see how well Man City are going to play. So, I forgot Raheem Sterling or any of the city assets. So, yeah. So, these would be the players I would generally, you know, keep an eye on if I want to you know, get them one of
0: them. Mm, yeah, I think Mohamed Salah's effective ownership, uh, this this game is going to be crazy high and definitely above 100%. So, yeah. Uh, He's it, it, been uh, very good this season. We don't really need to talk about how good um, how good Salah is because uh, he's he's just such a good player. But uh, for me, I think this this fixture is, is so good. Salah's uh, despite home and away, the the sort of influences much less. I think Salah's still probably the best option. He's he's forty seven percent. Owned. So, yeah, um, for me, I'm gonna go with Mohamed Salah, and I know that that's what I said last time. Actually, I I think I said um, that I was gonna go with Salah in, in this stream. Um, Fantasy Football Academy on YouTube, we did a stream. So, um, and eventually, I went with Kane, who who then scored me 32 points, which uh, was was much more beneficial. So sometimes you get these sort of gut instincts, like it was. It was only a few minutes before the deadline had Sterling in and, and suddenly I just switched it to Kane and um, yeah much much better so yeah I think um, that that concludes everything from the podcast I mean uh, Chelsea play Man United which looks like a brilliant fixture Saturday at, at 5.30 so I think um, that, that will be a, a really good fixture um, but um, uh, just Just one, one more question for you, Aditya. Um, Only you have
1: to repeat the part again. We got muted, I think, for a while.
0: Okay, all right. Um, Yeah, but just one more question for you, Aditya. Would you say that you are sort of pro or anti VAR? I'll be right
1: on the fence here. I'm not going to be. uh, supporting either of the side if you want but football has to be played in a fair manner and as long as decisions are made you know keeping that in mind i would be happy now if you ask me in terms of pickford situation no i'm not happy he should have got sent off in terms of offside he money was offside but it's harsh but at the end of the day offside is offside. you have to accept the fact but in terms of the sending of situation with regards to pickford it was a wrong call he should have got sent off but i don't know what the rules exactly say they need to make a change there but pro or anti i mean don't want to actually go into that in detail but i just want the game to be played in a fair manner and proper decisions need to be taken to mm. result in a fair you know, performance and fair outcome
0: yeah i i think we we just discussed this earlier but i just wanted to uh just go over once again. I think it definitely needs to be changed. And for me, at the moment, if it carries on like this, uh, I w- will be strongly sort of anti VAR. But hopefully, um, I, at the end of the day, I do want decisions to be correct in the game, as you said, to be played in a, in a fair manner, where officials are, are getting the calling the right decisions. But um, yeah, I I think if it if it carries on like this. I'll definitely be in the sort of anti VAR section of, of, of that debate. Um, but unless unless you've got any more questions or detail or anything else you want to discuss, I think that, that concludes the podcast.
1: Yes, that's the conclusion. And uh, if you guys are listening out there, if you have any questions, then you can drop it out to a F Academy or you can tag one of us. And we'll be glad to answer questions with respect to even this game week or from the ones even in the future yeah so that's
0: the end mm. so thank you all for listening from for all of us at the Academica Vertex stay tuned and, and keep up with us uh, on Twitter as Aditi just said um, hopefully we'll be back next week with another podcast and, and, and see how the Premier League goes this week good luck with, with all your FPL teams um, thank you and we'll see you all next time